one thing that took some getting used to as I prepared for a mission to Germany was the German fairy tale. Contrary to many romantic tales where heroes prevail against evil and receive rewards for their efforts, German fairy tales contain stories where good and bad often happen unexpectedly and unexpected people. The hero loses all, while the village fool gets incredible fortune. I recently listened to a discussion about the history of the fairy tale, which indicated that the modern, more romantic versions of fairy tales may have a detrimental effect in conveying to children that if bad things happen, you must be doing something wrong, because only the wicked get punished, and only the heroes earn rewards. In our study of Job this week, we look at three different ways to read the book that might help us push past the romantic and add some depth to our understanding of blessing and trial, difficulty and perfection. Welcome to the Scripture Study Project. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton, and this is our podcast where we study Scripture with you. Our goal each week is to help you discover new or renewed excitement for God and His Word, invest your heart and personal life into your study, and connect with others as you teach and learn together. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's study of the book of Job. This is, um, at the same time, one of the most difficult books of Scripture to read, and also, I think, one of the most fascinating books of Scripture to read. Most biblical scholars agree that this is the oldest book of Scripture that we have. Whether that means that Job himself was an ancient character, maybe in the time of the patriarchs, uh, or that it maybe was a story that predated them or was around the same time. But we do know that the text we have uh, seems to indicate that this story is very anachronistic in our Bible. So this is not following the book of Esther. It's not in the time of the scattering. This is before there was even a Moses and the children of Israel. And because of that, with old stories, like we said with the book of Genesis, sometimes it's difficult with these older stories to navigate the story. Most of these were oral stories that were told generation to generation to generation and then written down somewhere in that retelling. Now, that's not at all to say that the uh, details aren't accurate or factual. It just means it's a little bit harder to read those because the story has been passed around for so long. And so you can tell as you read the book of Job, this doesn't read like the last couple of books that we have studied because it's not, A, it's not uh, as, as new as those books. It's not as recently written. It's also a completely different genre of book. Uh, this is poetic Hebraic writing, whereas the other books were uh, that we've read, most of them have been some kind of a narrative uh, account. And so that has all of it. Now, I won't get into the details of those because I don't know if they're as important to our understanding of Job as this. There are at least three different ways to read the book of Job. All three are valid ways, and I think all three are valuable ways to read. All three of them connect with the word that's used to describe Job in the very first chapter and the very first verse. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Now, that word perfect uh, in our connotation in English has a lot of different meanings, but uh, in the 
both the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and in the New Testament, uh, it has a lot of meanings as well. It's translated as perfect, and sometimes that can send the wrong connotation. And so what I want to look at is three different ways to read the book of Job based on three different understandings of what that word perfect might mean. And I think any one of these three or some combination of them could be a great starting place for your own personal study. First, the definition of perfect that we're probably most familiar with, and the one that comes most readily to mind, is that perfect is someone who is blameless. In fact, that is the word that is used in some other translations to describe Job. He's someone that's blameless. Of course, we know this isn't someone that is perfect the way that Jesus is perfect. But to read that word perfect as someone who is blameless means this is someone with integrity who does the right thing. And the first chapter of Job shows us just how much integrity Job has. Uh, he offers sacrifice um, even when he himself isn't guilty of sin. He offers sacrifice for his children just in case they may have committed sin. He's very well aware of the difference between what we do, our outward expression, our outward action, and our inner commitment. Uh, in chapter 2, Job's wife, after he is physically afflicted, Job's wife uh, even questions him. Are you going to retain your integrity? She says in verse 9. And Job, of course, replies, I am. And so this story of Job with this reading of perfection is that Job is a blameless man. He's upright. He has integrity. The first two chapters indicate that he has that integrity. And, of course, the first two chapters narrate that despite his integrity and despite his blamelessness, Job is faced with some really severe and difficult trials. However, uh, Job's response to those trials, as he says in chapter 1, verse 21, uh, is full of integrity. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Or in chapter 2, verse 10, uh, what shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall not receive evil? And in both cases, uh, the, the narrator indicates that Job did not sin with his lips, that he was, again, someone that had integrity and that was blameless. And then because of that, we go to the very end of the book of Job, and everything is restored to Job twofold. He gets twice as much as he had before. And so this is a wonderful uh, way to read the story of Job, and it teaches us an incredible truth about God. Uh, our perspective is a mortal one focused as uh, on a very, as President Nelson would use the word, word uh, is a very myopic view. We are focused on the present, maybe a slight bit of the past, and uh, we try for just a little sliver of the future. But in reality, all we can see is the present. And when we can only see the present, everything seems huge. Um, I believe it was Elder Scott that once used the example that when we have trials or difficulties, it's kind of like having a pebble, and when you pull that pebble up off the ground and hold it right in front of your eye, the pebble looks huge. But when you remove that pebble from your eye, when you put it back on the ground, you can see it in proper context, and the pebble doesn't seem so small anymore, or so large anymore. Now, that's the first way to read the book of Job, and I think it's the one that we're probably most familiar with. We read the first two chapters, uh, and then we maybe glance a little bit at some of the chapters in between. For, for example, of course, we love to look at chapter 19 where Job declares, despite all of the difficulties that he has, 
that he knows that his Redeemer lives and that he will see that Redeemer in the flesh again, meaning that he'll see uh, his Redeemer uh, even though his body is currently being attacked and afflicted. That's a wonderful way to read the book of Job. It's not the only way to read the book of Job, and it's not the fullest way to read the book of Job. The second way to read the book of Job relates to another translation of, or another understanding of that word perfect. Uh, The Hebrew word perfect, tom, can also mean, in addition to blameless, can also mean complete or whole um, or uh, restored. It is true that in chapters 1 and 2, Job is uh, filled with integrity, and his response to the trials that he faces is one of faith and one of loyalty to God. However, starting with chapter 3 and all the way through the almost until the very end, Job constantly wrestles with the trials that he's going through. Um, I really appreciated that our Come Follow Me block included not just chapters 1 and 2, but also chapter 3, because we traditionally don't look that close at chapter 3. But just listen to what Job says in chapter 3. This is starting in verse 3. Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said there's a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness. Let not God regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined to the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Lo, let the night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day and who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight therefore be dark. Let it look for light, but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day, because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? That is not the same Job that uh, says in chapter 1, Naked came I into the world, naked go I out of the world. This is a Job that's in mourning and is verbally, visibly, openly struggling with his difficulties. Now, in these middle chapters, of course, we have the three characters of Job's comforters who at the beginning try and comfort him. And then as the, the poem progresses, they then start to accuse him. Uh, And one of the dichotomies, I think these comforters serve a couple of purposes. One, it's to show that Job is in mourning and that he is struggling. And then two, it's to show that their version of the way that life works is one where everything is equally measured. If you are righteous, then you are blessed. And if you are wicked, then you are cursed. And so when they look at Job, if he's being cursed like this, he has to have done something wicked. I wonder sometimes if we only read Job the first way, where Job is filled with integrity because of that he's blessed, if we miss the point that sometimes life doesn't go that way. Sometimes, in fact, maybe oftentimes, doing righteous things does not bring immediate blessings. In fact, it might bring pain and consequence, sorrow and trial. Of course, we have plenty of examples where uh, unrighteous living or poor choices doesn't yield immediate cursings. In fact, sometimes it yields the very benefits or blessings that we might be hoping for in our righteous living. 
And so with this second reading, we get a much more nuanced view, not just of Job, but of our relationship with God. It is not just be righteous and God blesses you immediately. It is that we our lives will be filled with trial and difficulty and that we will have, like Job, struggles with those trials and difficulties, and that's okay. In fact, one symbolic way to read the book of Job is that the first two chapters symbolically represent our pre-mortal life, where we are with God and where we are blessed, and then God sends us to earth to experience trial and difficulty. And then, picking up halfway through chapter 1 through chapter 30, oh, almost 42, um, we live this mortal life that is filled with not only trials and difficulties, but with doubts and questions and complaints and worries and struggles. And then the last bit represents our post-mortal life where everything is made up to us, not just double, but an infinite amount. But in order to read it that way, we have to grapple with and understand that the biggest part of Job, the most focus that this book gives is to that middle section of mortal life where things just are difficult. Um, I love what Job says in in chapter 10, verse 15, because I think it represents the way that I often feel, at least, when going through these kinds of trials. He says, If I be wicked, woe unto me. And if I be righteous, yet will I not lift up my head. I am full of confusion. Therefore, see mine affliction. The second reading of Job is one where we put that confusion into the story and we let it sit because that's what life has to offer sometimes. However, with that confusion, with that trial and difficulty and doubt and questioning and all of that, comes a refining and a strengthening. I love Job chapter 23 because this is where Job starts to grapple with this idea that maybe there is a benefit to these trials and difficulties after all. For example, verse 6, Will he plead against me with his great power? No, but he would put strength in me. Verse 10, He knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job understands, or at least is grappling with the understanding here, that there are blessings and benefits that come from trials and difficulties that we can't grasp in the middle of going through those trials and difficulties. Only with a broader perspective and looking back with the, under the direction of the Spirit can we maybe see that some of the trials and difficulties we go through um, were the very things we needed to grow and develop and become complete or fully finished, or perfect. Now, the third reading of Job is a personal reading, and it's one that uh, is is maybe just personal to me. Um, I, just a couple of days ago, uh, was reading Job and reflecting on it in preparing for this podcast, just my personal study. And earlier that day, I had been grappling with some... Um, almost personal identity questions. I was driving for a long time and I was just wrestling with some things about who I am and you've been there too. Everyone's had those kind of experiences. But when I sat down and was able to read Job and I looked at the word perfection, I noticed another definition or another uh, meaning of that Hebrew word Tom that I had never noticed before. And it is, this is a direct quote uh, from the commentary I was reading. Tom can also mean Uh, an ordinary, quiet 
sort of person. In fact, if you go back to Genesis chapter 25, there's a description of the brothers Jacob and Esau. And it says this, verse 27, And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. And Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And that word plain is actually the same Hebrew word tom. It's translated here as plain. It's translated in Job as perfect. But the connotation is that Jacob and Job were ordinary, maybe quiet sort of people. They weren't heroes, or at least they weren't the visible kind of heroes. They weren't the hunters the way that Esau maybe was. Um, I loved that definition because what it means to me is, as I read the book of Job, this is an ordinary story. Now, it's a bit, uh, of course, dramatic, um, and you know, Job has much more and loses much more. But I think the fact that we have and we lose is a very ordinary sort of thing. This doesn't just happen to the heroes in Scripture, that they have great blessings and lose great uh, and have great trials and difficulties. This is a very ordinary thing. In fact, the, the older I get and the more I associate with people, I realize that um, when going through difficulties and trials, that's not that doesn't make us um, different. Of course, our trials are all different, uh, but it doesn't separate us from each other. It actually draws us closer together because it's a very ordinary sort of thing to go through. And so those three readings, uh, perfect being blameless, perfect being complete or fully finished, or perfect being ordinary, uh, I think are three great ways to look at the book. I love at the very end in Job chapter 42, regardless of the reading, uh, you read chapter 42 and you see that Job is a different person at the end than he was at the beginning. Even though at the beginning he had those great statements of integrity, at the end he is a different person. Uh, in verse 6 he says, Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now the question comes up, if Job didn't sin, then why is he repenting? And this is where we use President Nelson's teachings on repentance, that repentance is a fresh view about ourselves, about our relationship with God. Uh, the word abhor there can be tricky too. This isn't Job saying, I hate myself. The word there means, I have turned away from the person I used to be. Or maybe, I have turned away from the way I used to view God. Uh, in chapter 1, it seems like Job maybe sees God the same way that his comforters do. If I'm righteous, God blesses me. And if I'm wicked, God punishes me. And now Job has come to see our relationship with God is much more personal than that. There isn't a one-story-fits-all kind of relationship with God. And so when Job says, I abhor myself, he's saying, I see my relationship with God different than I did before. I am closer to him than I ever have been before. In fact, I love verse 3. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. That's Job at the end of his trial saying, I now know things that are too wonderful for me to, too wonderful for me to describe that I never knew before. If you are going through Job-like experiences, please know uh, that 
the other side of those experiences, or maybe in the middle of those experiences, are things too wonderful to see and describe. I felt them and you felt them too. And I know that God watches over us, guides us, and is every step of the way with us. Thank you so much for studying with me this week. We'll see you next week.